Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right. Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown, and this is KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I, I want to make sure that I give a big ups of, of gratitude to KPOO again for providing this hour to speak on prison issues, uh, the prisoner human rights movement. This is a really precious hour. There are still so few places where we can platform the voices of, of prisoners, their family, their friends, their loved ones, and really to bring forth the issues um, in a way that is unwatered down and and really just pure. So uh, just a lot of gratitude. And for all the other organizations, too, that continue to focus on prison and prisoner issues. Uh, we've, we've got a dialogue of, um, of human rights and all other issues that pertain to our lives and our well-being, especially with this pandemic. And it's incredibly important that the voices of our prison of the prisoners and again their families are are front and center and are because they are an essential part of the dialogue, the conversation uh, that needs to take place for us uh, uh, to to find any solutions to um, uh, the, to counter capitalism, colonialism, imperialism, and white pathology. The only way to abolition can uh, can only come with uh, the voices of our prisoners. So thank you again, um, especially to KPOO and the crew here for uh, providing this very precious hour. All right, we are going to continue to hear of course, from uh, prisoners. And as I had promised, we are going to uh, hear more from uh, Elijah Johnson, the son of Jamelia Land. All right, uh, here we go. Why don't you introduce yourself? Um, yeah, just tell us who you are, where you are. And if you want to talk about why you're there, we can get into that. Um, but let's just first introduce yourself. Fast forward to now, 
dealing with COVID-19 for the past year and a half or so. I mean, uh, on top of not just the mental stress of me dealing with my case, uh, dealing with these, these wildfires, um, there's a lot. And uh, not only is it, is it just a lot, but it, it, it's hard, it's miserable, it's suffering. Random civilian and put them in a position that I am, they probably wouldn't even last a couple of days. They wouldn't last a couple of days in county jail. They wouldn't last a couple of days in prison. Take somebody that's a, a corporated individual, somebody that goes to a 95 job and works, provides for their family, and put them in the position I am. And just you would think that they would just fall apart because that's what this system is built for. Built for that individual who was put in here to fall apart change their mind things and not be who they were before because who they were before is out the window it's, it's not them anymore they're a completely different person from now on here on out they're in the system they're a felon they can't go out of the country in most places they can't do a lot that a regular person would be able to do back when they were actually a free person free individual free civilian that was providing to society we are no longer looked at that so at that now. We are a number. We are non-human. We are subhuman. A, a, a race that is just you are able to get rid of. So that goes back to the wildfire situation. So dealing with the wildfire situation, I was scared. And um, not only was it so close that it blew up our, our phone poles, but the evacuation process, there is no evacuation process. And this goes back to us being a subspecies as an inmate. There is no evacuation process. They, they they lock us up, they go home, and we fight out the fire. How do we fight out the fire? There's no way we can because we're trapped in ourselves, we're trapped wherever we are, and we're just to let the fire go by and hopefully it won't, it won't get you, I guess. I don't know. I mean, that's the evacuation process, I figure. Um, that's what I've been told, actually. Um, so can I ask you... So you, this is, and these are, of course, the, so how long have you been inside? How long have you been caged? I've been incarcerated for close to six years. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Um, say, um, sorry. Can you say how long you've, you've been caged? Right, and so um, I'm assuming that when you're talking about the fire season, this is something that you experience every year. You've watched the, quote, protocol every year of you being locked, all of you being locked down um, during the fire season, which is getting worse. Is that correct? Yes, it it gets worse each year. It it started last year because, uh, yeah, I really started to see a lot of it last year. Mm-hmm. And is there, okay, so they don't have any, uh, there's no protocols to to evacuate you. We know that our prisons are already overcrowded. Do they allow you any chance to prepare yourselves, for instance? Do you get to go to canteen and stock up if you have any uh, uh, 
privileged to to have access to the canteen because we know that some people don't have any kind of support and they're not able to go to canteen do you at least have that And during this quarantine, um, I mean, have you been getting any testing? Has there, um, what are the protocols for that? And what does quarantine actually mean? Vitals, they 
might ask you a couple of questions, you know, how are you feeling and whatnot, but they don't bring any extra type of medical attention. Uh, the closest thing I figured I've seen was an individual actually, one one individual actually was able to, I don't know how he did, but he made his way down to the lower yard and was able to see the doctors to get an experimental drug called adapted. Hmm. If I'm saying it correctly, it's either adapted or daffodin, but um, that's the closest thing to medical attention I've seen by far. That was actually uh, something useful towards this individual because he came back and he was like, you know, he felt like Donald Trump, basically. He felt like a billion bucks. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Okay. And when you uh, first... Uh, uh, found out that you were positive or you were feeling symptoms or when just before you went into quarantine were you able to connect with your with your mother uh, at that time no I was not able to connect with my mother due to the fact that the fire um, blew the phone poles up uh-huh. uh, so we had no outside communication mm-hmm. um, we were never duly informed that there was actually a fire going they actually told us, like, you know, hey, we asked, what was going on with the phone? Oh, uh, there's a fire. Uh, blew the phone poles up. Well, you could have even told us that there was a fire. You know, we see the smoke and everything. That's how I figured there was a fire. But, no, I had no communication for close to two weeks with my mother due to that fact. Um, other than writing a letter. But I figured out today they haven't even took our letters for two, two three days. So, it was like that. that All right, we are going to start hearing from Jamelia Land, Elijah Johnson's mother. Uh, Mind you, this conversation um, took place a couple of weeks ago, maybe, yeah, about about a week and a half ago. And they are talking about the Dixie fires that were, um, you know, raging through the Susanville area at that time. Things have calmed down a bit since then. But I think it's important for us to remember that... um, the fires are still raging in California, and they're they're highly toxic uh, to people. So we should keep that in mind for ourselves. But also, I want to uh, keep, us to keep in mind what the prisoners continue to go through in terms of their treatment um, when, when these fires are raging, when there is a pandemic, and through the pandemic. So. Um, while it might seem like it's um, outdated or that it's not that current, it is very current in terms of what um, what our prisoners and their families are going through. So you've had. I, I was just getting. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say, Elijah uh, shared with me uh, right before we called you um, that they've discovered that their mail is not being sent out from the facility, and I wanted to tell you, Elijah, I got your letter. Two days ago, wow. dated back dated back in August when you were telling me that you had COVID. I just got it two days ago. Oh, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And, and I've been here for two and a half weeks, and you, I wrote you the first day I got here. That's, what, that's crazy. Wow. And this is, in, the, in quarantine basically just looks like uh, um, um, uh, all of you um, in the same room without being able to social distance, basically just having to get through COVID, whether somebody dies, gets sicker, um, it doesn't seem to be the issue, just uh, 
quarantining means just throwing all of you together and um, you having to hope for the best. In, in addition to that, Nube, in addition to that, I, I like to remaining. I'd like to make mention that. Right Please. Okay, go ahead, honey. Is that they have no fresh air, um, that the gymnasium and the cells all are they all get recycled air so the air comes in from outside so the air that's coming in is not only hot air but it's filled with smoke right and there is ash and so we're talking about you know individuals who are one second this is global tail link you have a prepaid call from elijah johnson an inmate at the Sierra Conservation Center, Jamestown, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Okay, son. So I was just telling her about the the issues with the, the air, the quality of the air inside the facility due to the recycled air um, and you all being in the gymnasium. Can you can you kind of expound a little bit on that and and give her some understanding as to how the ventilation system is set up? Uh, because essentially, Nube, it's all the air is all recycled around, and so if you are if you have COVID and you're in one cell and the air is being recycled, it's it's being recycled into all of the cells. Right. Exactly. So. Uh... The airways and the air system is basically a refurbishing system. They grab the outside air and push it in to wherever you're at, whether it be the gym, whether it be the cell. So it's not an, uh, any type of any air conditioning system. There's no cool air. There's no hot air. It's whatever the air, Mother Earth or Mother Nature gives us, basically. So it takes the outside air, pushes it in, and then it sucks the air in the other ventilation that we have in our cell. So we have one one that pushes the air in, one that sucks the air out. But, I mean, with all the cells connected, it is, my mother was correct, those individuals that do have corona and they don't, they haven't figured that they have symptoms yet, all that air and everything, coughing and all that, gets sucked in, it gets pushed out through the next cell, pushed out to the next cell, pushed out to the next cell. So it's basically one giant cycle of everybody catching this corona. I mean, there's no way to stop it because it's their air system. And then not only that, I mean, with the fire going on and everything like that, so if there's ash in the air, so if there's smoke in the air, all that is blown through the vents too. All that's blown through the vents in the gym. All that kind of contaminates the air. So it, it's uh, a nasty situation. I mean, back to the fact that, yeah, we are all bunched together, not socially distant, it just throws the ear, and so say, if I have symptoms, but my symptoms go away in about a week, but I still got a week and a half or a week or so, give or take, in here to quarantine, but then I'm not thinking more, but then this guy's dying next to me, and I get re-sick, I mean, there we go, there's a new variant that just started because I just lost it, gained it back because of the non-social distance practice, I mean, it, it, it can, uh, it's just one giant cycle, basically. It goes round and round, and we all continue to get sick because of the protocol in here. But, I mean, they're professionals, right? 
Yeah, right. Well, and of and of course, uh, smoky air is incredibly toxic as well. So, um, I mean, that is, that's just environmental racism. I guess you can call it something else when it's in, in prison. There's some level to me of some psychological abuse. If you have, you know that you have toxic air coming in, you know that you guys are all just being thrown together, really um, just uh, your lives being played with willy-nilly, and you have sick people around you. Many of you must be starving or very hungry. This is psychological abuse, I would say. How? Well, if I could jump in here, uh, if I could jump in here, Nube, I'd Please. like to say that you know this is this is this is more than psychological abuse. This is torture, and this is a human rights disaster. Absolutely. This is this is a human rights violation because you know. In addition to the fact that my son is innocent of the crimes for which they sentenced him to death by incarceration, um, psychologically he's being tormented. Um, and then one other thing that I'm, I'm really curious and concerned about is also the quality of the water that they are consuming. I wanted to ask about that too. It did. Yes, please. Please talk about that. And please talk about that and also about your, um, Elijah, if you don't mind, your, um, your, your mom uh, talking about your case. No, that's completely fine. Go ahead, Jamelia. Okay, so my first, my concern with the water is um, I'd like to know where the water source is coming from. Mm -hmm. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. If we are talking about well water, um, with the with the fires and the damage that's been done to the ground, I'm seriously concerned about you know any toxins or pollutants that may be in the well water. Um, if it's if it's piped in, you know, through a water company, um, I'm curious as to how much the the fire around it has impacted it as well. So that, that is also uh, an additional concern because the only thing the other day when I talked to Elijah, he was trying to put in a medical slip because his blood pressure was low. Um, he was dehydrated and all he had to drink was water. And he was trying to get the nurses or the doctors to give him some Pedialyte or something with electrolytes in it. Mm -hmm. Um, which he was unsuccessful in being able to do. So the only thing he has is the water that is there that is being provided. And so that's where that concern for me came up. Um, in in uh, addition to that, uh, thank you, I want to say first, for giving us an opportunity to talk about Elijah's case. Please. Um, because this is one of the nastiest things I've ever seen happen. I'll let Elijah, uh, I'll let Elijah give you, uh, you know, the gist, I'll give you the gist of it and let him fill in. Okay. But um, essentially, um, my son was arrested in 2016 for a triple homicide that occurred in South Sacramento. Um, Elijah was not. Elijah did not plan this. Elijah did not provide weapons. Elijah did not even know the people that that were the victims of this crime. Um, Fast forward to 2018, we are fighting for SB 1437. I was caught in the middle of 
two high-profile cases, one being Elijah's triple homicide case and then the case of Stephon Clark. Um, and so we were fighting fighting for changes to California's felony murder law. Uh, and we were successful in getting SB 1437 passed. The governor signed it on uh, a Sunday in October. That following Wednesday, Elijah's trial came to uh, an end um, where they found my baby guilty of all three charges, even though the testimony of all witnesses stated that Elijah did not shoot or kill anyone. Um and so we have been fighting uh, ferociously since to be able to get Elijah home. We have had a break and some good news that he shared with me a couple of days ago. He received a letter from his appellate attorney and um, the motion for, to present oral arguments on appeal has been granted. And so oral arguments will be heard on his case October 20th. However, you know, here again, we have a system that that has failed all the way around. Absolutely. Um, the fact that Elijah was the only, and I want to stress this, uh, this is not about race, but when we are talking about uh, this system in this country, race is a factor. My son was the only African-American. Your call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. He was the only African-American in the case. Mm -hmm. The actual shooter was Asian. The family that he slaughtered was Asian. And the two girls that were associated were Caucasian. Both of those girls got seven years in exchange for their testimony, so they very well may be out by now. I don't know. Um, but they got seven years in exchange for their testimony, and both of them testified that Elijah did not shoot or kill anyone. Um, the jury came back with a hung jury twice. The judge refused to accept it. Um, she then reprimanded four or five jurors for all engaging in juror misconduct. They were meeting with each other on the weekends. They were going to the farmer's market and hanging out. They were discussing the case at length outside of the deliberation room. Hmm. And so the judge was aware of this. So very carefully, she crafted her words. But in doing so, in her inquiry with the jurors to find out what was going on, she went too far and she engaged in judicial misconduct. And so she, uh, during her inquiry, she discovered that this particular juror was not going to vote for Elijah. She was not giving a yes vote to convict Elijah. So what she did was she removed this juror for juror misconduct. She then replaced her with another juror who she had already reprimanded for juror misconduct as well. And they came back with a unanimous decision to find Elijah guilty on all three charges. All right. Um, if you are just joining us, we are listening to Jamelia Land and her son, Elijah Johnson. Jamelia has been talking about uh, the triple murder, uh, felony murder uh, sentence, which is now of, of her son, Elijah, that is a triple life sentence. And Elijah has been talking about the conditions inside of the Sierra Conservation Center, um, a very um, deceitful name for a place that is psychologically and physically torturing the prisoners there at uh, the Sierra Conservation Center. 
Uh, we are going to take a quick musical break. This is Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown, and we will come back uh, after the break to finish with uh, what is will be an ongoing conversation with Jamelia Land and her son, Elijah Johnson. Um, and our family, this is devastating. 
he is sitting in there for something that he didn't do. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the fight was already to get him back from a death by incarceration sentence. Now I'm fighting something that I can't see. Right. Now I'm fighting something that's claiming lives left and right. And every day I'm paranoid as to whether or not, you know, my greatest fear has already happened. My son has contracted COVID. By the grace of God, he's alive and it didn't kill him. But now we've got COVID and we've got a fire and we've got CDCR that has no evacuation plan in place. We just saw uh, three days ago, 41 inmates died in their cells from a fire that broke out in a prison in Indonesia. So we, we know that this is happening. I've got you know, I've got people in, in, in Louisiana and Alabama, but very specifically in Louisiana, who are underneath floodwaters. Right. So this is this is not just something that's happening here in California, but you know, it's problematic because like Elijah said, once you criminalize someone, then you can dehumanize them. And that is what has happened. And you know, my son's life matters. He is a human being. He is not a PFN number. He is Elijah Johnson. And, and so it's, it's disturbing to me that, that we, are, we are here and that we even have to, we have to have these conversations. The fact that, you know, it, it's, it's breaching up to 115 degrees in those cells. And they're sick. And they're breathing in smoke. Like, what does it take for us as a society to say, it ain't cool. We can't do this. What type of help comes? So, Elijah, you want to you want to share about you know how we got here and, and, and your case? You have 60 seconds remaining. Oh, jeez. Let me call It's okay. Right back. Call me right back, baby. I'm here. All right. Perfect. Well, uh, Jamelia, what I find um, just so heartbreaking, but also, I mean, we really are, this is a crime against humanity that your son, uh, you, your son, your family, is experiencing, I mean, considering the work that you're doing with ACA3 and trying to take the language out of the state constitution, which mirrors the federal constitution, that if you are convicted of a crime, you become a this slave of the state. Telling, you have a prepaid call from Elijah Johnson, an inmate at the Sierra Conservation Center, Jamestown, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial five. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hello? Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead. All right. Well, uh, so, yeah, I mean, like I was saying, the best point that my mother brought up was the fact that the two witnesses, or star witnesses, that they brought in, were actually much too close to it, but they signed seven years testified everything truthfully under oath and they testified the biggest the biggest testimony was that i did not kill a single soul in that house i did not kill a single soul at all and these are their star witnesses their witnesses 
was there and a part of it, I should be duly charged with my own actions. But I was not duly charged with my own actions. I was charged with somebody else's actions because just because of the fact that I'm black and they can. You know, and the only, another point, the only African-American individual on that juror was a, uh, a was a African-American, African-American woman that they took off due to the fact that she had to do something or something was going on in her life and that could that could have waited but they struck her down and put in the next juror so that was the only African-American individual at all on that juror other than that you had a school teacher who was Caucasian you had a priest who was Caucasian and it just boiled down to the fact that it was no, there was, there was no racial practice in that juror system. There was nobody that could have, could have been like, okay, I came from his background. I, I, I feel for his story or anything like that. It was just all God-stricken individuals that were, that were, that were, that were structured in nature to, to basically despise criminal activity and individuals like myself, so to say, because of the charges that were brought up on my, on my, on my person. It, it, it was, it was, a, it was, it was a railroaded system. Anybody that could have been up on that, 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 uh, that stand that day and was like, okay, he, he, he's, he's being charged with triple murder. Let's get him. Let's bag him and tag him. But the biggest thing is, is that Sacramento also has a 99% conviction rate. So everybody is getting charged, but most of the individuals out of that system, 80% of them are African American. And that shows you something. That shows you something big because we are having a racial injustice. And this is this is big. Can I can I jump in here real quick? Um, because yeah. there there was a juror on his case that I, I'd like for us to talk about a little bit, Eli, because this woman, when I sat on the stand um, to testify, she started crying. There were several jurors that just just had this look on their face like they could not believe what was happening. But this one particular juror, she was adamant. She even went so far as to say, you know, I can't I, I can't do this. I cannot send him to prison for the rest of his life for something he did not do. Some of the other jurors bullied her. This woman was under extreme duress. They bullied her. They antagonized her. She tried to she tried to get help from the judge. No one would listen. Then finally she just said, I'm not voting yes. And they kicked her off the jury. Yeah, that so yeah, forget about jury of your peers. So this is basically just a, the the typical um, corrupt, um, unjust court system that um, it's highly racialized. I mean, it was so bad. It was so bad, Nube, that when they put me on the stand, I was treated as a hostile witness. Right. They asked me questions. The district attorney asked me questions. He would ask me yes or no questions, and I would answer him. I cannot answer the question the way that it is semantically posed because it cannot be answered yes or no. And I mean, like, he, he turned red in the face after a while. He was furious with me because they'd asked me questions that was yes or no, and i just go off. I said, well, 
I can't answer that yes or no because testimony in this trial has already shown that Elijah is not. And I mean, the judge is hitting her gavel and they're strike, 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 strike. And I just didn't care. And so finally, the district attorney, he got so mad, uh, Hightower, he got so mad that he was just like, you know what? I don't even want to question her anymore. Like, we're just done with her. As soon as I got off the stand and I went into the hallway, a sheriff's deputy came out to let me know that I was no longer permitted to come into the courtroom. Oh, wow. They had me, oh, they had me for the remainder of the your trial. Your call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. For the remainder of the trial, I was confined to the hallway outside. I couldn't see my son anymore. I couldn't hear the verdict when it came down. They wouldn't let me. They, I couldn't know anything. Um, and so the way that the way that the whole system treated us, I mean, like I was followed by sheriff's deputies mm-hmm. in and out of the building. Um, the district attorney went so far as to ask for a closed session to talk to the judge um, and said that I was trying to intimidate his office and I was trying to intimidate jurors. Right. I've heard of this before of of. Uh, harassing and intimidating um, and retaliating against the family members. Um, I think we can also say pretty clearly that um, you in your particular case as well, because of the work that you do, um, you're going there, they're going to retaliate again, against, uh, against you as well. Do you, would you say that that's probably taking place? That That's, that's exactly what has happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I actually, I actually had someone, uh, one of the jurors, when I came out of the courtroom, mm-hmm. when they went on lunch and uh, they were all heading to the the elevator, one of the jurors stopped and looked at me and she said to the other juror, that's the lady on the Stephon Clark case. Mm, uh-huh. Right. And, and so it was, you know what I mean? I'm like literally trapped between these two high profile cases and no matter where I go, People are identifying that. And so the judge identified it. The district attorney identified it. And so I think that a lot of that played a part, too, in they're going to punish my son excessively right? just because he's mine. Right. Well, that's a punishing. Yeah, they're they're punishing both of you. Elijah, you are they just consider you collateral damage. This is this is anti-blackness. This is I don't call it white supremacy. This is white pathology. This is the capitalist imperialist. This is the prison industrial slave complex working um, at full throttle. This case is so egregious. And we know that it's not an anomaly. It's, it's just hard to get the, the words out. Um, do, is there anybody, do, do you have lawyers that like strong lawyers that are working for you? I mean, this seems like this is a, this seems to me a huge high profile case. I mean, this is, this is straight corruption. Mm-hmm. I uh, have, I have, I have paid four lawyers over the past two years and seem to get stonewalled at every corner. When they really start digging and looking at some of the stuff or just, you know, two or three conversations with me on the depth of this, mm-hmm. um, people are afraid. People are afraid. Right. They don't want to get they don't want to get clapped back that. They don't want, you know, they don't want bomb threats at their office and things of that nature. And so more more recently here though, I have connected with some amazing attorneys that I am hopeful um will be able to help you know, push this forward, but 
you know, we are open to any and all suggestions. I'm actually, uh, I'm in the process right now of building a coalition uh, to help me um, not just free my son, but to really um, expose some of what's happening inside CDCR right now. Because one of the things that has come out of this for me that is the most damning and devastating, well, actually, there's two things. One is the condition in which... Um, you know, these men and women are being housed as far as the heat and the air is concerned. Right. Um, and then the second thing is the evacuation plan that's in place. That's a human rights issue. Absolutely. Like the, the, the fact that, you know, the fact that all staff will leave the facility and you will lock my son up in a cage and, and let the fire breach the building and, and let him and others burn to death. Oh, no. No, uh, yeah, people need to know this. We need to get this out. And, 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 I need, and I need California state legislators to really wake up, become educated about what's happening, because the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is operating on its own, unchecked, and this is problematic. You let, you let something happen. You let something happen to my son before I get him out of there, and it falls on the hands of CDCR. Y'all will be taking collect calls from me. Well, you know, we as a as the public, I'm sorry, Elijah, just we as a public. This uh, call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Your son, uh, Elijah, you need to be our child as well. You need to be our sons as well. This should, this cannot be happening on our watch if we want to say that we have any uh, sense of our own, uh, our own humanity. So... Um, I just want you to know that we are definitely going to be a part of making sure that this gets out. But Elijah, I want to make sure that um, I don't take your space to speak. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day for me, my mother, and everything else. Just thank, thank you for putting all of this uh, together for me. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't say what I can do for you, but I mean, All right. If you are enraged by what you just heard, um, enraged or um, just motivated to get involved to help um, do something about this egregious continued crime against humanity that is taking place within our prisons, then please stay tuned because a call to action is developing and we will make sure that you will have your your opportunity to be a part of it. Um, and, um, yes. Okay. So again, just stay with us and we will let you know about that. In the meantime, it is uh, national Hispanic heritage month or Hispanic, um, heritage month. And I was sent over an article that you can find, um, at Donald C. Note Hooker's, um, a website at C the letter C-note.org. And this article was sent over by um, our beloved Minister King X of Cage Universal and California Prison Focus. And the name of the article is Black Love for Brown Pride, How Black Artists Honor Latinos. We love this collaboration between this, this unity between uh, black and brown people 
And, um, and it really speaks also to the work that uh, Minister King is doing, of course. And it's also, this is showing this inside-outside work. Uh, C-Note is uh, still imprisoned, um, and yet uh, he's an amazing artist. And the work that he does inside to, um, to work with us out here and um, how we support him, we love that inside-outside, again, collaboration and working in unity. And also, this speaks to the Alliance of Black and Brown People in general. In honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, we wanted to look at, back at how African Americans have honored Latinos through art. It is without question there exists a cultural and social interconnectedness between brown people with black people in the United States. The two communities, according to the 2020 U.S. Census, make up 32.8% of the U.S. population. Um, I'm just going to be reading some excerpts. Carlos Santana. The most prominent contemporary voice on black and brown homage comes from 74-year-old Carlos Santana. Santana, whose wife is black, homage to blacks in the arts is too voluminous to write about. In a 2019 interview with Rolling Stones, Santana was asked why he called his 25th studio album Africa Speaks. The state of the world is so infected with fear and separation and disharmony. I know for a fact that the frequency of this music from Africa gives people hope, courage, and joy. The ingredients and the nutrients from everything that comes from African music makes people dance and rejoice like a revival. Okay, and then there's a piece in here, To Live and Die in L.A., a song by Tupac Shakur, and... Um, where in the song he says, it wouldn't be L.A. without Mexicans, black love, brown pride in the sets again. Uh, again, that's from to live, and uh, to live and Die in L.A., uh, the movie. Uh, um, the, the song that he did, that he dropped um, um, after uh, the, the uh, movie Colors. All right. 38-year-old Mexican-American Corey Benton Sr., who grew up in the 805, recalls those times and what it meant to him to have heard Tupac's words, because we're talking the, the mid-90s. Uh, mid Tupac Shakur was a talented African-American rapper that constantly paid homage to the significance of the Mexican-Central American edition of Los Angeles through his music. His song, To Live and Die in L.A., is a classic example of how Mexican-Central American culture is not only comp complementary to the City of Angels, but a signature of L.A. The deep roots and culture is recognized worldwide. The people, the cuisine, desserts, and customs are praised by Tupac. Born a native New Yorker, this is a perfect example how, of how Mexican Central Americans are visible to outsiders like Tupac and solidified their imprint on society. Um, so their presence continues. No, so Mexican Central Americans have literally cultivated the Southwest. Their presence continues to keep it driving and remain an integral contribution to Southern California and the rest of the nation. And then, um, this is just, read this article. There's, there's, there's going to be videos and the, the beautiful, amazing art by uh, Donald C. Note Hooker, of course, is here. And we have a piece all and all hostilities talking zine sneak preview song by Minister King X, aka Pie Face of Cage Universal and um, uh, California Prison Focus. So on August 12, 2012, California prisoners Todd Ashker, Arturo Castellano, Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a, and Antonio Guillen signed the agreement to end all hostilities. 
These four racially diverse men were housed in the Pelican Bay State Prison Security Housing Unit's short corridor. Despite Pelican Bay having been designed as a super, super maximum security prison for the purpose of long-term solitary confinement, it did not work. Prison officials came up with a new isolation tactic. Isolate the leadership of the prison gangs by housing them with one another, being validated as um, gangs gang members. These prison gangs were blood rivals. The net result was the creation of the Pelican Bay Shore Corridor Collective, and on the 12th of August 2016, they signed the following in uh, per, um, pertinent in part. No, I think that was 2012. Sorry, uh, uh, August 12, 2012, not 2016, as it says here. One, if we really want to bring about substantive, meaningful changes to the CDCR system in a manner beneficial to all solid individuals who have never been broken by CDCR's torture tactics intended to coerce one to become a state informant via debriefing, now is the time for us to collectively seize this moment and put an end to more than 20 to 30 years of hostilities between our racial groups. Therefore, beginning on October 10, 2012, all hostilities between our racial groups in SHU, ADSEG, general population, and county jails will officially cease. This means that from this date on, all racial group hostilities need to be at an end. And if personal issues arise between individuals, people need to do all they can to exhaust all diplomatic means to settle such disputes. Do not allow personal, individual issues to escalate into racial group issues. In an October 12, 2020 article in the California Herald, quote, Former prisoner playwright finds ex-felon voting ally and progressive senator Minister King X, a.k.a. Pieface, is quoted as saying, it is the most significant racial and gang truce in the history of California. It is on par to the 1998 Northern Ireland Good Friday Peace Accords. All right. That is our show, and um, I want to make sure that all of you know about the International Tribunal that is going to be taking place in October from the 22nd through the 25th. We will be charging genocide. Um, there are six charges that are going to be uh, presented to the international jurors, again, October 22nd to the 25th. Go to spiritofmandela.org, spiritofmandela.org, Spirit of Mandela, all one word. The charges are, one, racist police killings of black, brown, and indigenous people. Two, hyper-incarceration of black, brown, and indigenous people. Three, political incarceration of civil rights and national liberation ERA activists and present-day activists. Four, public health racism and its disparities and its impact on black, brown, and indigenous people. Five, environmental racism and its impact on black, brown, and indigenous people. Six, genocide of black, brown, and indigenous people as a result of the historic and systemic charges of all of the above. Please get involved. You can make a donation, you can uh, stay up on it, you can tell everyone that you know, you can become a witness to uh, this charge of, of America with three Ks Incorporated. Um, also go to California Prison Focus website, prisons.org, make a donation there, please, and stay informed about what is taking place within our prisons, as well as um, SF Bayview 
www.thepowerofthenews.com. I love y'all. Uh, please continue to act in shared humanity. Um, and uh, I will see you next week. All power to the people. Love y'all.